All right, we're beginning a brand new series today called Perfect Peace. And here's what I know. I know this, man. Being in ministry, just being human, you guys. There is a lot of stuff that we are challenged with, problems and pressures and stress. It's the reality. Even people, there's people that are just feel like they're robbing our peace. I mean, there's so many things, so many things that are robbing us of peace. And so we're going to dive into how do we get, how do we access what the Bible calls perfect peace? Like, is that even, is anything in this world perfect? Like, can you really have perfect peace? Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble, right? But he said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I told you these things that you might have peace, that that according to Christ, according to Jesus, according to this gospel and this Bible that we read, we teach, we believe that there is a peace that is available, that is accessible in the middle of your storms, in the middle of your, your challenges. Like, like Jesus was sharing the kingdom of heaven and that there's a part of this kingdom that there is peace, that there can be a peace on the inside of me. Even when on the outside of me, there's no peace. Like, like on the inside, I could be calm, but I, on the outside, it can be a storm because peace, peace is not the absence of the storm. It's not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of God in the middle of the storm. It's the presence of Jesus in the middle of the problem. Here's our theme verse in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Our theme verse for this series says this, you will keep, God will keep in, what is that? God will keep in what? Perfect peace. Now, in the Hebrew, truth be known, in the Hebrew, the word perfect isn't in there, okay? It's just the best English word we could use to describe. In, in Hebrew, it literally is perfect. It's peace, peace. But the double word, peace, peace, whenever in Hebrew it du- duplicates a word like that, it denotes the certainty, the, the constance, the continuance that this is true and real and solid as opposed to any false or imaginary, that this is a peace that can be trusted, a true, reliable, constant, and continuous peace. That this perfect peace, he says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. See, peace is the byproduct of who you are trusting and where your thoughts are thinking. This is the, the ingredient, if you will, of this, this peace, peace. I could have titled the you know, series Peace, Peace, but it wouldn't be as good as Perfect Peace, okay? But this is, this is the ingredient here. This is, this is what it takes to have this constant, continuant, continuous, uh, solid, true peace, this perfect peace in our life, is that we are putting our trust in the right source. And we are fixing our thoughts on the right thing. According to the scriptures, there can be storms and trials and troubles that you're going through, but that if you're trusting in Christ and the right person and you have your thoughts fixed, not on my circumstances, not on the problem, but if I have my thoughts fixed upon him, then the storm can continue, but inside of me will be perfect peace. Peace. Today we're going to talk about uh, peace for my past. I'm, I'm so excited about this, this series. Next week, I'll, I'll talk about anxiety and the answer for anxiety. But, but I think a lot of us, a lot of us here today are, we, one of the common denominators of all of us is we have a past. And we are human, so we all know that your past includes pain. It includes some, some hurts. And we're going to study 
what the scriptures have to say about getting peace from our past and dealing with some of those things that maybe we don't like to even think about. And to help us do that, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul in some of his writings in Philippians chapter 1 primarily, but in other areas where this is um, not just, you know, an author of scriptures and, and an apostle of God, but this was a man who had a lot of pain that we can learn a lot from. In Philippians chapter 1, look what it says in verse, we'll start in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and I want to stop right there for just a moment, because he could say anything at this point. He's in prison, by the way, when he's writing this, wrongly accused and been beaten and flogged and all this stuff. And many of us have said something like this, and I want you to know, can you believe what happened to me? Can you believe what they said? Can you believe, this is what happened at work, you know? And so we'll, like, we've all said this, but what, why is it that some people's past is a prison and other people's past is a platform? Why is it that for some people, they're not defined by their past, they're prepared by their past? Why is it that some people don't allow their past to become a prison? I, I was doing some research on some people that had difficult pasts that didn't let them affect their future. Albert Einstein, he didn't speak until he was four years old. Not a word. Jim Carrey used to be homeless. Bethany Hamilton, the, you know, the surfer who lost her arm in that shark attack, it, two years after that event, she won the national tournament for surfing. Uh, Stephen King, his first novel was rejected 30 times. Oprah Winfrey, she was repeatedly molested by family members, or her cousin, her uncle, or her family friend when she was a child. She ran away when she was a teenager, had her first child, a baby boy at 14 years old, and lost that baby, died due to complications. Why is it? Why is it that for some people, they're not defined by the pain of their past, but they use that to prepare them for the future that God has for them. The Apostle Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Like I could get stuck here and complain and whine about it, but I see something different, that God is using this in the midst of it to advance his kingdom. As a result, he says, I've become, it's become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Like far beyond what my words could promote the gospel, because I am in shackles and it is known I am, this gospel that I am in chains for is actually spreading faster than my words could ever speak. And because of my chains, he says, because, look, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, they become even more confident in the Lord. And they dare all the more to proclaim this gospel without fear, that because of my suffering for this gospel, other people are taking courage. They're saying, you know what, if Paul, he, if he can suffer for it, then I can suffer for it. Why is it? You got here, Paul's in prison. He's in prison externally, but check this out. He's free and at peace internally. How? How? Here's, I believe that there's some of us here today, maybe a lot of us, who are imprisoned by our past. Some of you probably know, when we talk about the, the, the parts of our past that are maybe robbing you of peace, um, some of you probably know, you, you can immediately go, yeah, yeah, and you kind of can, can think about those, the past things that are still robbing you of peace. But then there's others of you that are here today that, that you are unaware of, of how much your past is actually affecting your future and your present. Like you haven't yet connected the dots, like... Like for some of you, you don't realize that the reason why you're, you get angry is not because of that person. It's not because of them. It's actually because of something in your past that you haven't dealt with. For some of you, the, the, 
Like you just haven't connected the dots. Like you just, you're unaware that the reason why you're not vulnerable, like you can't be intimate or it's hard for you to be intimate and vulnerable with the, not only the opposite sex, but even the same sex. Just in, 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 in an intimate, vulnerable friendship, it's, it's hard for you to go there, not because of anything about them. It's, it's something in your past that you just have not dealt with and, and healed from. Like we just haven't connected these, these dots that I hope to to connect, that, that God through the Holy Spirit would connect to even some of you, those, those habits that, you're, that you have, that you want to get rid of, or those thoughts that you constantly think that you wish you didn't think, like, like it's actually their influence, many of them, by the past that we just have not dealt with and, and healed from. Today we're going to do some soul care, man. The Holy Spirit, I've been praying for you all week, that the Holy Spirit would just, man, that he would touch those areas of our hearts and our soul and our past that are hurting, that are still, maybe even unknowingly, but through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that you would see the areas that, that need a touch from God. I want to give you a few areas from our past that might be impri- imprisoning us today, um, you know, affecting, not, so that not only you're getting robbed from peace, but you're, you're getting your, your destiny robbed, your potential robbed because of something that isn't even real or here anymore. You're dragging things into the present, and it's affecting who you are in your relationship. So let me show you. Then we're going to continue to study Paul. But let me show you a few things that maybe to help connect some dots for some of you, okay? Because if you, you might be imprisoned by your past in one, one of three areas. The first one is unfulfilled expectations. Very often, we can allow the disappointments of, ye- of yesterday, of the, our experiences, like, like, I thought it was going to be this way, and it just didn't work out the way. Like, I thought I was going to be at this place in my life. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever, ever seen um, Napoleon Dynamite. You remember Napoleon Dynamite? Some of y'all got Uncle Rico syndrome, where, where he's like, I can throw this football over the mountains, man. If the coach would have just put me in in the fourth quarter, we would have won state, man. I'd be you know, sitting in a hot tub with my honey right now. And you're just like living in the disappointments of your, your past. You know, for some of you, you, you like, you're like, I, it's just not the way it was supposed to be. I'm, I wasn't supposed to be single at 38 years old. It's just not it. I wasn't supposed to. I was, my marriage was supposed to work. I'm not supposed to be divorced. This is not the way it was supposed to go. I mean, the business shouldn't have failed. Why did it fail? I heard from God. We stepped out in faith and it didn't work. Like, and we have these burdens of our expectations that just didn't get met and, and we just don't know what to do with those things because what do we listen what the bible says in proverbs 13 and 12 that hope deferred actually makes our heart sick that when we have this hope that we wanted it to happen i hoped it would happen this way it was gonna happen it's supposed to happen that when we have that hope deferred the bible actually says that that our heart become, and I think that there's, there's some of us in here today, our hearts are sick. We have like this, this illness in our, in our soul because we just didn't know how to deal with that disappointment, the expectation that did not get met. Here's the second reason why we might be imprisoned by our past, and that's untreated pain. Just pain, man. Every one of us, we're like, life is painful. It is. We're going we're gonna to get hurt. We're going to have pain and go through Painful experiences, and, 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 and we just don't deal with it. It's not that we're not going to have, it's not about, hey, are we going to have pain because you're going to have pain. It's are we going to actually treat the pain? Are we going to deal with the pain? And some of us don't. Some of us would rather just, you know, brush it under the carpet. And, and it's not just pain from, like, like, painful experiences. Just I mean, there's even, like, some good things that have happened that, that took a lot of pain to get there. 
just life of, of pain. Loss is pain. Any loss is pain. Some of you have lost loved ones. And, and look at uh, Luke chapter 2 is, is where this prophet Simeon is actually prophesying to, to Mary. It says this, this, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined, talking about Jesus when he's just barely a child, this child is destined to cause the failing or the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be real. This is what Jesus was going to be. He's prophesying. But then he says this last prophetic word to this mom, Mary. And the sword will pierce your own soul too. He was prophesying to her the the crushing blow of loss that she would feel to lose her son, to see her son beaten and scourged and crucified and to breathe his last breath, the, the wound, the sole wound of a mother who's lost a child before their time. And some of you have, have loss and grief. And sure, there's like, in the middle of it, it's like, yeah, Maybe now you can see like, okay, it's, they're with God now and one of the, they're in the presence of God and, and I see how God's working through it. He's healing my family and working some things out in my family. But the reality is a sword has pierced your soul and we need to know how to treat that wound. And some of us that haven't treated it, it it'll become a prison instead of the platform that God intended it to be. So we have these, these expectations, these untreated pains. And then number three, some of us have some unresolved trauma still from our past. Most people think that trauma is an event that you go through. It's not an event. It's, it's trauma is a response to a deeply disturbing and distressing event. It's not the event itself. Some people can go through certain events and, 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 and some respond differently. It's our response to it. And some think that trauma is actually physical, like it's a physical abuse or physical injury. And trauma can be physical, but there is emotional trauma that some of us have. You've been emotionally abused. I mean, there's even spiritual trauma that some of us have. We spiritually have been in places where we were just manipulated or coerced or, 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 or mistreated. And there's spiritual trauma. There's mental trauma that some of us have. And it's the wounds you can't see that hurt. Oftentimes even more than the wounds you can see, right? It's those wounds that just go undetected, unrealized, that... In fact, I think it's the wounds that you can't see are the ones that are harder to heal. They take longer to heal. I mean, the external wound, you can see it, you can treat it, you can easily diagnose that thing, but sometimes those internal wounds of those unmet expectations and the untreated pains and the the unresolved trauma that we have can go a lifetime of poisoning us beneath the surface. There's three types of trauma, three different types of trauma, not in your notes or anything, but there's acute trauma which is the response of a one-time traumatic, traumatic event. There's like a car accident. Veronica, uh, she got in a car accident some years ago, and it was, it was traumatic. She had to heal from that experience of being in a vehicle again, driving on that street again, seeing a truck approach her on oncoming traffic again. She had to, there, it, was, it was traumatic. Or if you've gone through any natural disaster, a complication in childbirth or something like that would be like a, a, an acute traumatic experience. The second type of trauma is a chronic trauma experience where uh, that is a long-term response to prolonged or repeated events. So if some of you were in grade school and you were bullied all throughout grade school, that is a traumatic, a chronic traumatic experience 
that a lot of people have. Or you were the victim of racism. Like you were ongoing victim of racism just because of the language you speak or what you look like. That is a chronic form of, of trauma or even long-term use of porn. Some of you don't know that, but porn, they, they, studies have shown that if you are, you are chronically looking, like long-term viewing pornography, then you are causing trauma to your soul and your mind. Like it is, it is a form of trauma that you're, you're experiencing. Some of you grew up with a mom and dad that were alcoholics, mom or dad. He lived in an alcoholic home and a household, and, and, and that was... Uh, that was traumatic because there was ups and there was downs. There was outbursts and there was unexpected or maybe there's some sexual abuse that has happened long term. Um, acute, chronic, the third type of trauma is complex, complex trauma. Um, there was, it's a response to like multiple or ongoing events where you're raised in that home or you're in that marriage for many years that has been traumatic. It's, it's any combination of all those things of acute and chronic over a long time. Trauma changes you when untreated. It changes how you see people, how you treat people. It changes how you see your, yourself. It's difficult when you've you come through trauma. It's difficult to trust people. It's difficult to, to be close to people. It's difficult to trust God. When, when you look at Paul in the scriptures, I, I, I don't want you to think of Paul today as just the, the, the writer of the Bible. And he's, yes, he wrote two-thirds of the Bible, but the apostle Paul, I want you to see him today in a different light. He's actually a trauma victim. He went through like, like some traumatic experiences and events that, that, I mean, none of us probably can hold a candle to. I got a map here that shows Paul's missionary journey of where he actually traveled around and all the way from like, like Jerusalem and Damascus, all these places, Thessalonica, Antioch, Corinth, Berea, every one of these places you see in Paul's like missionary journey where he's going promoting good and the gospel and the kingdom of heaven and, and trying to get people saved. In every one of these instances, he was, he was attacked and beaten and, and raced out of those cities. Let me just kind of pull out a few. Uh, they're not up here. They're just on the map. In Damascus in Acts chapter 9, they actually had a plan to kill him and were waiting by the gate. You all remember the story where they lowered him in a basket down the wall so he can, like he had to run and hide out of that city because they were going to kill him. In Antioch, they, uh, they told the leaders in that town some gossip about him and lied about him, man, and, and they stirred up persecution, and, and they actually expelled him. They kicked him out of that entire region. I don't know if you've ever been kicked out anywhere for gossip or people just mistreating you. In Iconium, they, it says that, that these Gentiles poisoned the minds of all the people. They mistreated, and they, he got stoned. Now, I want to probably, I should say, that uh, not recreationally in the culture that we're living today, they threw rocks at him. You know, they stoned him. And uh, in, in Lystria as well, not only did they stone him there in Lystria, but they dragged him, they stoned him so much, they dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. And they left him there for dead. In, in Jerusalem, he was actually dragged into the temple to kill him. And they were killing him. They were gunning. And the Roman officers found out about it. And they actually went to the temple and they kind of, they had to handcuff, like got Paul and they, they arrested him to protect him, but also because he was causing commotion, which was illegal. Here he is trying to help these people. He's trying to save these people, and they keep hurting him. He could have easily developed bitterness, anger toward all these people, but this is what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil 
a foothold. Here's what's happening when we have these, listen, these expectations and the pain and the traumas that we don't deal with. Listen, you are, you're giving the devil a foothold in your life. You're leaving a, a door open when you just allow sun to go down and up and down and up. And some of you, it's been years and decades since you've ever faced what's been done to you in a healthy way that promotes healing. And, and, and for a lot of you, listen, for a lot of you, what, what needs to happen in order for like healing and, and, a, and a journey of health and healing to happen, a lot of you just need to let that person go. Because you're holding, you think that you're holding them captive in your mind. But what forgiveness is, when you let people go and you forgive, you, you realize that you're letting the, the captive free, but that captive was you. Like, you're in prison. They're not. They're actually not. It's your bitterness. It's your unforgiveness that you're imprisoned by. There's, people have a wrong concept of what forgiveness is. Let me, give you, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. For, write these down. Forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen. You need to realize that, okay? Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you're not acknowledging the event. It doesn't mean you're not acknowledging the wrong. In fact, you're actually acknowledging it more by releasing its control over your mind and your emotions. Some of you are not acknowledging it at all, like it didn't hurt, it's not a big deal, when in reality, you're still captive to that thing. If you just wake up and say, no, it did hurt, it did happen, and I need to let it go, you're actually acknowledging it more. Forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen. Forgiveness also doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that. It does. I get it. It does hurt. And some of you, check this out. I believe some of you are waiting till the hurting stops. And you stop living your life by your feeling and you start walking by faith. You, you don't understand how much your forgiveness when you let them go, it is actually the thing that promotes and catapults your healing to actually begin that you're holding on, waiting for like a time where you don't feel the pain anymore to release them, and you're just punishing yourself. Forgiveness doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. Forgiveness doesn't mean also reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you, that you restore relationship just because you forgave somebody, you immediately trust them. No, no. Just be. In fact, there are some people that that after you forgive them, you need, to, you need to have a wider boundary with them. They shouldn't be invited back into that place of honor, into that place of trust, maybe even in, back into your home. If there was some of these traumatic, maybe there needs to be some forgiveness, but some distance. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Because I believe we should always be promoting reconciliation and restoration of relationships. We should always fight for that. So I don't want you to just like, like drawing. Some people use that word boundaries as a way to just not deal with your stuff and, and actually, you know, love people well and be, you know, overlook offenses, you know. And so I don't want us to do that. But the reality is that there are, there are some people, let me say it this way. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. Okay. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. It doesn't mean reconciliation. Now, the Apostle Paul, let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 where he's like in prison, he's like, oh, you know, this is what's happened to me, but I see this silver lining. There were still people trying to hurt him even while he was in prison, still trying to cause pain to him even after, you know, they tried to kill him and got him in prison. Let's see this, how he continues in Philippians 1. We'll pick it up in 15. He said, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So even those who are like supposed to be in, in, in like my brothers, man, they're, they're like, 
they're kind of against me, man, sometimes, these guys. The later do so, the latter do so in love, knowing that I'm, uh, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, look what he says, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm still in chains. There's still people like trying to get me in trouble, trying to stir up some trouble for me, even though I'm still in these chains. But look what he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is. Now, let me pause right there because who you put your trust in and what you fix your thoughts on determines what's important to you. Okay, and the reason why Paul is able to think differently and live differently and be physically in a prison but internally free and that peace is because he was trusting maybe in something that you have yet to put your trust in. Maybe he was fixing his thoughts not on problems or people or circumstances but upon the God of heaven. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. This is, what, this is what's most important to me. I have my mind set on eternity on the kingdom of God. I'm now getting caught up in here. It's not going to rob my peace. And because of this, I rejoice. Right there in the prison, Paul? Yeah. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. I love that he used the word sufficient. Sufficient courage. He didn't say he'd have like over and abundant and beyond courage. He wasn't like skipping around in the dungeon of the prison, da, 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 like living on a cloud, like, like everything's okay. No, no, no. He's, he said he had sufficient courage. Like he had enough courage to get, like he's like, I'm not happy. I'm not like ecstatic about this and stuff, but I got enough to get me through. I got, I, got a, I got a sufficient amount of courage to get me through whatever God is. I don't, I don't, I'm not turning a blind eye. I'm not putting my high, head in the, the clouds, acting like it ain't happened. But I got a sufficient courage to get me through what God has put in me in. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are you trusting in? And what are you fixing your thoughts on? We'll determine the kind of peace that you're going to have in this life. Let me give you a few truths that you need to believe, that you need to kind of assimilate here if you want to have a perfect peace, or if you want to have peace for your past, there are some things that you need to believe, okay? Here's the first one. It's huge, man. You got to believe that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. So what do you do when what has happened to you, you did to yourself? What do you do when it was like, it wasn't nobody else's fault, like it was me? You know what I mean? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. You know what I mean? Come on. Some of y'all know it. All right. I'm not going to tell you where it's from. The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 22, like he was, he was sharing where he came from in his past, some of the sins of his past. I don't know if you know this about the Apostle Paul, but he says, I persecuted the followers of the way. That's who the Christians were called the way. He said, I persecuted Christians to their death. I arrested both men and women and threw them into prison. This was Paul's past, man. He was, he was a persecutor of the church and, and, and throwing them on their way to death, man. Being in ministry and helping people for many years, one of the things that I am profoundly aware of is that there are a lot of people living consumed by guilt. And hear me, please. Guilt is not from God. It is not, that is, that is a tool and a trick of the enemy to get you. Guilt paralyzes action. 
It immobilizes you. We start to think of things like, oh, I'm never going to conquer this. I'm never going to get over this. Well, why would I even try? You know, the hardest person to forgive is often yourself. To let yourself off the hook. And you need to believe this today. If some of you still, you still, you know it was you, that you were the problem, it was your choice. Listen, your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us. And not only that, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Like wipe it away. Jeremiah says that he will forgive our wickedness and will remember our sins no more. Like they are cast out of his mind. He doesn't count them against you anymore. Your biggest sins are not big enough and too big for God's grace. If you want God's perfect peace, you got to buy into that. You got to believe that and you need to forgive yourself. Here's the second thing that we need to know, and that is you are not what you have done. Maybe some of you need to write an extra, you are not what's been done to you or said to you. You are not what you've done. You are who God says you are. You're not what you've done. It doesn't define you. Your identity is not in it. You're, you are the very product and the identity of what God has breathed over your life. That is what defines you. And God has defined you pretty incredibly. And you see, Satan, Satan tries so hard for us to personalize our sin, for us to internalize it and, and personalize it. He tries us to get in the mindset where the things that we've done become who we see ourselves for. So you didn't just make a mistake, you are that mistake. You didn't just, you know, mess up, you are a mess up. No, I didn't just commit uh, uh, adultery, I didn't just cheat, I, I, I am an adulterer, I am a cheater, I didn't just, uh, you know, steal something, I didn't just steal something that one time, I'm a thief. And he tries to get your identity in the very things that you're doing, but listen, listen, sin is not an event, it is never an event. Or it's never a person, it is an event. Sin is not a person. It's an event. The Bible, let me just say this, I pray that God, that there are those of you that have been in chains, the chains of your past, of the mistakes that you've made, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you recognize how God sees you today. Isaiah 62, 2 says this, you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. I don't know who spoke names into you and over you. I don't know what names you call yourself, but God has a new name for your life. He, he is the one. You are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. Second Corinthians 5 and 17, Paul writes this. Look what he says. Anyone, say that word out loud with me. Ready? Anyone. Any, who is, that's all of us. Every single one of us. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person he says that old life that past those mistakes those wounds those abuses those things that i did to myself that old life is gone the new life has begun see the bad news is this if you don't belong to christ you are defined by you and only you and what you have done and what you can make out of what you have done the best that you can make it but the good news is, if you choose to belong to Christ, that your identity is found in who God says you are and what he's created you to be, not your past. Your past becomes a platform for your potential, not a prison for your pain. Okay, here's the third truth. Your trauma wasn't your fault, but you need to take responsibility of the healing. The trauma wasn't your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. Now listen, you, you don't get over the trauma. Anyone in the, in, 
live in the generation of, okay, get over it. Rub some dirt on it. Get over it. You know what I mean? Get over it. Just rub some dirt on that thing. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth that we can glean from that generation, to be honest. Yeah, they're like, we need some of that. Stop crying about it. Keep moving. Let's keep going. Don't let that thing stop you. Don't let that thing paralyze you. I get it. But I think that, that let's not be in the misunderstanding that, that it didn't hurt. It doesn't need to be dealt with, though, that it's easier just to forget it. No, no, man. Like, you don't just get over trauma. You heal from it. You have to heal. And some of you need to go on that journey, whether it's acute, chronic, or complex, we need to go on a healing journey. So, so there's three ways, three steps of healing the trauma I want to give you. Here it is. Number one, you got to start to process that pain that you went through. you got to process the pain of your trauma. You don't heal when you ignore it. You don't heal when you suppress it. You're not going to heal when you, when you just try to forget it. No, you, you start to heal when you process it. Some of you have been abused mentally, physically, emotionally. Some of you have experienced rape or abandonment, and, and you have certain triggers even. And, and that's, like a, that's like a very popular term today, trigger. You know, I'm, I'm triggered. You know, the, it's, not, it's not just enough to identify that you're triggered. You have to find out why you were triggered and then heal from it. It's not like, oh, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, and everyone like, let's just, you know, protect me in this moment. No, no. How about we find out why the trigger's there, and then you start to heal from that thing. Some of you don't like that word even, and admit that you have triggers. You try to bury it, and, and this is what the Lord showed me, man. A while ago, the Lord showed me, because um, I was like, I'm fine. I'm cool, I'm good. And then, and then the, Lord, the Lord told me, are you? And he goes, if, if, you're, if you're so good, then why are you so touchy and sensitive when I touch here? And he showed me something. I went, ow. It hurt. And, and I got angry. And that was my response to him touching the area. That I, I'm good. No, I'm good. And he showed me something that I didn't process. And... And I'm thankful for that. I am. But you know why you don't want to process your pain? Because it's, it takes vulnerability. And you feel, you feel kind of helpless. I mean, when the Lord touches those areas and, and you expose those areas, it's like, I mean, it's not fun to feel that way, that you are still subject to the thing. And that thing's still affecting you. You feel kind of helpless. So what some of us do is just pretend it's not there or we just don't deal with it. So instead of seeking connection, we prioritize protection. And you need to hear this. This is why it's important. You don't heal in isolation. You heal best in community. You need to process your pain in community with other people. Some of you, if you ignore your pain, the wound is going to stay there, and you will treat it. You're just going to treat it in unhealthy ways. You're going to, like, use something else to cope. You're going to use drugs to cope with that thing. You're going to use porn to, you're going to use alcohol. You're going to use sex. You're going you're to use other things to try to help you heal and cope by not processing those traumatic experiences. Second Corinthians chapter 11 I don't know if I put it in your notes, but I put the whole thing up here just because it's so long. Okay, so let me just kind of, let me just kind of, Paul here is processing out loud some of the things that he's experienced. You can go read it, but let me just give you the highlights. He was, he's just explaining like, I've been through some stuff, you guys. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. He says, five times I've received 39 lashes, 40 minus one, because to receive 40 lashes was against the law. You could die from 39, but they would hit you 39 lashes and see if you die. Because if you died at 39, it's not, it's not illegal. But if, you, if they hit you 40 times and you died, it's illegal. You, you get in trouble. So he did that five times. 
39 lashes, you guys. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. He says three times shipwrecked. Uh, he spent the night open sea. He was constantly in danger and, uh, uh, from false believers. He says, I've labored, I've toiled, I've known hunger, I've known cold, I've been naked. He's like, I've faced all these pressures all day long. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, we were under such great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Let me just pause right here just for a moment. If you're here today and you've ever felt like, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I want to go on. This is too painful. I've been disappointed enough. Or those traumas just hurt so much and I don't even want to, like my life would be better if it would stop right here. Just take me now. I'm, like, just, just, I'm just thinking about ending this thing. If you've ever had that thought, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here, that his trauma and his pain, he was at a place where he was just like, I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. Paul, what is he doing here? Is he's writing this out. He's authentically processing his trauma. He's talking about it. So I want to encourage you. Like, talk, maybe for some of you, that's some of your small group. People in your small group that you've been doing life with, that you've built a little bit of a relationship, talk to them. Talk to your leader. Talk to a pastor. Like, maybe talk to a therapist or a counselor. Go to a Christian one, please. But talk it out and process the pain of your trauma. Number two, prayerfully press into God with your trauma. Prayerfully press into God. In 2 Corinthians 12, it's talking about Paul had this, he had this thorn in his flesh. And we all have a thorn, a situation that we have weakness in or opportunity. Does anyone have a situation where they're weak in? Anyone here? Oh, you're all perfect and good. My bad. Anyone here have any weakness at all? Am I okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you brought your thorn with you. You know what I mean? He right here, Pastor. This is this is him, the thorn. So but Paul's like, this is this is three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. And, and some people believe that was maybe a, a, an eye, you know, or traumatic, chronic pain, something. He's unloading on God is what he's doing. When he's talking about three times, it's not just three quick, easy prayers. Most people believe these are three seasons of crying out to God where he's unloading on God. God, this isn't fair. I've asked you. I believed you. I'm being used by you to heal others and seeing other people get healing. God, why me? Why You could take it, yet you're not taking it. This isn't my fault. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to heal. You can be honest with God. You can cast your cares on God because he cares for you. Three times the three different seasons. He's pleading with God, but he says, he said to me, God said to me in the middle of my pleading during that third time, God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That very thing that you hate the most, that hurts the most, God says, you're going to best discover my power in that place. And then he gets this revelation that he's passing to us today that doesn't make sense except for this context. He says, this is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties because I've realized when I am weak, that's when I am strong. That, that his strength is made perfect in my weaknesses. I can finally get out of the way and say, I need you. I need you. And then before I give you this third step of healing through your trauma, I was hesitant to talk about this next one because I know if you're hurting, you're not going to like to hear this. But, but this third step of healing from your trauma is, is to pursue purpose in your trauma. But there's purpose. And some of you, I know, you don't like that right now, especially like 
you hate it. Some of you are like, how dare you? <laughs> purpose in this? This sucks. This is bad. There's, there's no purpose but, but harm and evil and trauma. Are you kidding me? But no, 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 listen. There is, there is purpose beyond it. God did not even author that. He didn't author the pain, the traumatic experience, but there, he can create purpose beyond it. Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Look what he says. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the very same comfort that we receive from God. Like when I went to God and I cried out to him and I, and, I, and I processed it with him that he gave me a peace in the middle of it that I can't understand. Nothing really changed. I still got the thorn, but I have freedom and peace in the midst of it. And now I'm able to, to process that with other people that have their own thorns and their own trials and their own difficulty. And how God comforted me, I can be God's comfort to somebody else. That God can... He gave me purpose in this that I can be his healing hand. I can be a voice of comfort. I can be a presence of comfort that God uses. You don't get over it. You heal from it. And then last, let me give you the fourth one because you've got to believe this. I'm going to start a healing journey today. A healing journey. A deep healing journey of our past. Get perfect peace. Number four, you can't change your past. Christ can change your future. You're living in it. You're letting it hold on to you. You're so disappointed in it. But God doesn't waste anything. You are not defined by your past. You are prepared by your past. If you would choose to trust him and stop putting your trust in you or things you can control, if you fix your thoughts on him and stop thinking about your problems and your pain, you can't change it. But God can change your future. Philippians chapter 3, Paul would say a couple chapters later, part of just his secret of how he processed and healed from his trauma, how he can be imprisoned but not imprisoned by it. <laughs> I focus on this one thing. I forget the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I know I processed it with you guys. I know I like, I listed it with you and I'm processing it. But this is one thing, a discipline I've learned. I'm forgetting the past and looking toward, forward what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which Christ, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, here's, here's the word in, in the Greek, what it means for forgetting what is past. It's not... It's not uh, what you think it is, okay? Because Paul is, he immediately, he remembers, okay? I heard one preacher, he, I heard one preacher say that, um, you know when you forgive someone, when you forget, you don't even remember what they did anymore. And I felt like slapping him through the TV because that is one of the stupidest things I have ever heard preach because that's, that's not, that'll bind you. That'll bind you up because you'll never be able to attain that and you will be bound by your own self-condemnation. That is not, what at all this means here. The Greek word for forgetting what is past. Check this out. This is what it means. It means to treat with thoughtless inattention, 
to willfully neglect. Like I'm going to exert my will to neglect this, to leave behind intentionally, to banish from one's thought, to disregard on purpose. So the memory is going to come up, but I'm going to disregard that thing on purpose and cease remembering it. You're going to treat with thoughtless inattention to willfully neglect the labels that you put on yourself. You're going to leave intentionally behind the mistakes and the sins behind you. You're going to banish from your thoughts the lies of the devil. You're going to disregard on purpose other people's opinions of you, and you're going to cease remembering that which you let go and Christ has forgiven. That's what it means to forget your past. Can I pray? Like some of you, God knows why we're here, why we're here. Some of you, you weren't ready to receive this word last year. You weren't, you weren't ready to, to address some things. You weren't ready to face some of the disappointment, pain, and the trauma. But I believe you're here on purpose. And God wants to begin something inside of you. It doesn't, doesn't have to be like immediate magic wand thing. I mean, you don't need to, but he wants to begin by what he's doing right now, maybe shining light on areas that he wants to touch. Can we just, can we go together in prayer? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes together in this place, online, wherever you're at? I know you're, you're listening and you're here on purpose. And maybe, like the Lord did me, maybe he touched an area that you thought you were good in. Or maybe you didn't even know, you didn't connect the dots, that it was actually something in your past that you were dragging into this relationship right now. That you were dragging into your identity right now. And you just don't get over it. You gotta, you gotta heal from it. 